This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Located in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 651 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I am the best at what I do, and what I do isn't pretty, and my name is Matt Bomb. I'm head number two, a.k.a. the Internet's Joe Patrick, and I may not be the best at what I do, but what I do is gorgeous. Today is a very Wolverine episode of THN, and we'll start by reviewing two new Wolverine titles, along with six other new comics. After that, we'll head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to make our must-read picks for next week's new comics. And finally, we'll finish celebrating the lives and deaths of Wolverine with a preview of our Patreon Extra, where we're playing Ask a Nerd and discussing our favorite Wolvie guilty pleasure stories. So... Let's get this adamantium-laced episode started with review time in the ziggurat! This time, our comic pile is full of big green lawyers, Charlton Comics slash John Cena mashups, space slash soap opera love stories, and the lives and deaths of Wolverine. As always, our reviews come from the last two weeks. So, Matt, why don't you get us started with your first review from January 19th? Let's kick things off with an oldie but a goodie returning in Aerosmith, number one from Image. It's $3.99. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Carlos Pacheco. Here's your solicit. And I find it a little perplexing because they're going to scream series premiere. And then later on, they're going to say, like, this is a mini series. <laughs> series premiere! The new I Kurt mean- Busiek era at Image begins here as he and superstar artist Carlos Pacheco, who worked on Fantastic Four, Avengers Forever, Final Crisis, X-Men, Superman, and a bunch of other stuff, bring you the much-anticipated return of Aerosmith! It's World War One, but a war of wizards and dragons as much as bullets and barbed wire. Young airman Fletcher Aerosmith plunges back into the heat of the war and finds himself behind enemy lines, facing a threat that could doom the Allied powers. The first issue in a new Aerosmith Universe miniseries. And don't miss the remastered hardcover of the original series in February. I appreciate that they're plugging other stuff right here in the uh, solicit. That's, that's, Yo, I mean, it's a it's a Busey Ekazance yeah. ad image with all of his stuff coming back. And he's hustling. I dig it. I dig it. It has been almost 20 damn years since the first issue of Aerosmith hit the stands in 2003, and I've had fond memories of the series since pulling it off the new shelf. With that said, it's been almost 20 damn years since I've read the story, and revisiting this world took me right back. So much so that I pulled out my old issues of the first series from the THN Permanent Collection and re-read them all. That series is so great still. Totally holds up. Busiek and Pacheco drop you right back into their world seamlessly, and even Pacheco's art has reverted to his old style at the time. He doesn't really draw like this anymore. Yes, he does. Of course he does. Yes, he does. I think he's changed quite a bit. I'm not saying it's bad. He's just not as much as you are thinking, I don't think. I think think you've got... I think you've got nostalgia glasses on. If you hold these up side by side with his old stuff, it looks like he continued this series. And if you hold it up to his newer stuff, his style has changed quite a bit. 
I'm not saying it's like unrecognizable. That is not to say that it was bad in the past. I, in fact, I liked the older style more, quite honestly. Busiek script perfectly mixes magic with World War I, replacing guns and flamethrowers with enchanted crossbows and swords. He addresses racism using troll and human interactions that show Fletcher's true humanity, along with a love for his flying dragon that reminds me of my own pug Bobo. God, I love this beautiful book and how this hasn't been adapted to a streaming show is beyond me at this point. The setup doesn't get any better than this, you guys. Come on, Netflix. Let's figure it out. OK, I'm giving this a buy it. <laughs> so I think the reason you think that the art looks different is that he's this is not inked by the guy he who was his inking partner at the time. And I personally didn't think it looked different. I think Carlos Pacheco's art still looks this is very similar to this, um, but he used to be inked pretty much full time by Jesus Marino. Yeah. Uh, and this book is inked by uh, Jose Rafael Fonteres. I'm not seeing a difference um, in this in the art in this book compared to the old Aerosmith is what I'm saying. I'm saying that style looks very, very similar to me just to his uh, newer other things that he's drawn recently. Well, again, I think it's because of the inking. I think his current inkers on his other projects aren't maybe don't. Uh, that could be that very at well the same be. level of, of shading and detail or whatever, what what have you. Um, anyway, uh, I think this book is great. I, I love Aerosmith. I always forget that it's the kid's name, which makes me chuckle. Yeah. It's like it's me, you know, Steve Foreigner, Rick Drywall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like okay. Uh, I, I mean, and I know that an Aeros Aerosmith is much more than just the name of a band, but. Yeah, I think it's. I think this is a fantastic series. Like it, the high concept of the series is so genius. Yeah, that I can't believe that that um, it's not more popular. And I know that BC, you know, re returns to it whenever he can. Um, and I'm happy to see it back. I, I loved this. It's a buy it for me. And like, of course, the allegory for you know uh, racial tension with the trolls and the humans is right there. You know, it's the subtext is just text. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, um, yeah, it's beautifully drawn, well told, buy it. Speaking of returns, it's She-Hulk number one from Marvel Comics, written by Rainbow Rowell, with art by Roge Antonio and Rico Renzi. I was right, it's Roge Antonio with an O, not Antonia with an A. Oh. Not that the other way would have not that the other way would have been bad or wrong. It's just that there was a typo. Anyways. It's $3.99. Here's your solicit. The best character ever is back in her own series and about to glam up the whole Marvel Universe. Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. the sensational She-Hulk, is no longer savage and needs to put her life back together. Don't we all? She's, I know. She's got a career to rebuild, friends to reconnect with, and maybe represent in a court of law, and enemies too, dot, dot, dot. Well, she may not want to connect with them, but they are definitely going to connect with her. And the last page of this first issue is going to send Jen down a road she's never traveled, and that will shake up her life and possibly the whole Marvel Universe. You've heard us saying it for years. We missed the sensational She-Hulk. But after everything she's gone through, Jennifer Walters isn't feeling too sensational these days. But Rainbow Rowell is here to help pick her up. But Rainbow Rowell is here to help her pick up the pieces. Everything about the tone of this issue and the voices of the characters was spot on and i was very pleased to see elements of past runs make a return you could argue that the issue spends a ton of time getting jen kind of back up to a baseline starting point i'm just gonna go ahead and say it there's like a very long confrontation between uh, jen and titania and it takes up a lot of the issue but 
I loved that. I, I thought that the catharsis that that encounter brought uh, was very welcome. Antonio's art is excellent. And the bright pop of Rico Renzi's colors just absolutely bring it to life. I always forget that that guy is like all about like neon pinks, magentas and yeah. yellows. And it's so bright oh, yeah. and bold and beautiful. Antonio's line work is sharp without looking too clean and clinical. It's expressive and it's full of dynamic layouts and great pacing. She-Hulk number one is a pitch perfect return for a fan favorite character. Maybe more than one. And I'm so glad to have Jen back. This is a huge buy it for me. I don't know if the other one counts as a fan favorite. But. Cult favorite. <laughs> Cult favorite. Cult favorite. I'll give you that. Okay. I, I thought the thing with Titania was wonderful. And yeah. mostly because it didn't go the direction we thought it was going to go. They do a little thing that you just went, yep, Jen would totally do that. And I love it. <laughs> like it, it made so much sense. And the last time we had like Peter David sensational She-Hulk, she would spend entire issues beating up one person. So I'm not going to validate anybody's complaints about like, well, that took too long. It was great. And I expect we're going to be seeing more of that character. And I love what they did with it. I loved her interactions here with Janet Van Dyne as well. And it gives you this sense. This is a comic book written about a strong woman who went through a very long thing and is trying to put her life back together and is being written by a very intelligent woman who knows how to write women and how women act in these situations. And it really came through. This was fantastic. It's beautiful to look at. Wonderful art. Thrilled to have this back. Giving it a huge buy it. All right, enough of this girly crap. Let's get into some macho comics with the X-Lives of Wolverine, number one from Marvel. It was $5.99. It's written by Ben Percy with art by Josh Cassera. Here's your solicit. The biggest Wolverine story of all time begins here! It's that big. Logan, wow. James Howlett, Weapon X, the mutant best known as Wolverine, has lived many lives under many identities in many places, but never before has the fate of the future been so entwined with the past. Fan favorite eras of Wolverine's saga are explored anew, along with never before seen episodes as Logan must travel to various points in time to prevent the death of a key figure in mutant history. But these lives are only one side of the story. Be here for the start of the time-shredding saga across all of Wolverine's history and future yet to come. Whew. While Percy's Wolverine title has been a great meeting place for both Krakoan-loving X-Fans and old Knucklehead fans of classic Wolvie stuff, like myself, it seems like Percy is using this series to let us know everything we know about Wolvie's past is wrong. Or might be. Or maybe he's being psychically projected into the past and changing it. <laughs> it's hard it to know at this point. <laughs> it's that one. It's the third one. It's not. I, I, I'm trying not yeah. to spoil anything. For the most part, the issue is a nonstop action piece set in the past at the birth of a very important next character that up until now, we had thought we'll be met much later. Percy is definitely poking the bear a bit here on purpose with this first issue, and I like it. When dealing with Wolvie's past, you're going to upset the continuity wonks, but those nerds are going to be mad no matter what. So, f*** them, and that includes me. But also, are we really in the past? Because <laughs> Sarah's art is perfect for the action piece Percy set up, and his pages are packed with all the rage and violence you'd expect from a romp through what may or may not be Wolfie's actual past. Excellent coloring by Frank Martin here too, switching from bright blues and reds in the present scenes and a more brown beige, almost sepia tone flashbacks. 
I don't know what happened in this first issue, but I need to know where the story goes from here. A lot of people complained about that, that they didn't know exactly what's happening yet. I would argue, isn't that what a good first issue should do? I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Look, I I think people were just looking for reasons to be confused oh, because I... I, I read and like, I understand, like, I don't know why it's happening, but after I read the issue and thought about it and then read the deaths of Wolverine, like, I understand what's happening in this comic. I, at least the premise, yeah. right? Like, I, I, I understand the conceit of this comic. I don't, again, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know how they're doing it, whatever, whatever. Right. Um, I don't know how it's going to, you know, change things in the present or if it is or blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I didn't find it that confusing. <laughs> um, I did I think, think it's the just art- a shock of where he was and what was going on. But like, get over it, people. How many times have we in you know injected stuff into Wolvie's past? Well, and other all, than I'm, I every mean, time, <laughs> I, I, I think I think complaining that you haven't seen the entire story unfold before you when it's part one of what is essentially a ten part weekly series, right? Is kind of a stupid thing to complain about. Yeah, settle. Down. Um, yeah, you're right. Settle down, B. Uh, but yeah, this is a buy it for me. I thought it was great. Uh, the Kasara man, Woo. love that guy. Ooh, he's love him. good. He is really good. Let's look away from the old Knuckleheads past and take a deep dive into the Dark Knights. It's Batman: colon, The Knight, number one from DC Comics. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Carmine DiGen Domenico. It's four ninety nine, and here's your solicit. The origin of Batman and his never-ending fight against crime in Gotham City is modern mythology. But what of the story in between? How did an angry, damaged young man grow into the most accomplished detective and crime fighter the world has ever known? How did the Dark Knight's mission begin? Superstar writer Chip Zdarsky, parentheses, Daredevil, and acclaimed artist Carmine DiGian Domenico, parentheses, The Flash, will take Bruce Wayne on a fraught journey making allies and enemies on his training to become Batman in this definitive new series. Do you think it kills DC when they have to be like, all right, the guy's never written anything for DC before. Just say Daredevil. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's I mean, that's why you'll see some credits in all right. caps. Credits in all caps are for that company. Credits right. in no caps are the competition. If, like if he was going to wrestle for WWE, they'd be like, he's never been anywhere before and we found him. <laughs> <laughs> I am kind of a sucker for a good year zero story. There are a thousand tales of your favorite heroes first year on the job out there or the story of how they got their powers or where they, you know, whatever their, their training, how they got their costume. We've all seen Martha Wayne's pearls drop to the alley ground of a billion times. We don't, you know, you get it. But what about what they had to go through to get from point A to point B? Chip Zdarsky, the man currently putting the man without fear through the ringer at Marvel, brings us a modern take on what took Bruce Wayne from that bloody alleyway to the dark rooftops of Gotham. Regular Bat fans will recognize a lot of familiar faces involved and some of them not so nice. But as always, Alfred Pennyworth emerges as the best thing that ever happened to that sad little orphan. Thanks for nothing. Tom King. <laughs> Carmine DG and Domenico's art is better than ever and beautifully suited for Gotham City. Ivan Placentia is no stranger to this world, so his colors are the perfect complement to the heavy shadows of Carmine's line art. Batman the Night Number One is an excellent start to a fresh take on a familiar story 
with gorgeous artwork. This is a buy it. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to say things like, well, how many times do we need to see this? How many times do we need to go back to year one and whatever? And oh, great, they injected, you know, X character into his past now. And that's valid. If you're tired of that, I totally get it. But I would argue if the story is this good and the art is this solid, then yes, absolutely worth the price of admission. This isn't just revisiting another year zero type story or like, oh, here's, here's that six months we never saw when Bruce was 17 or something like that. We got a different take on Alfred here that I really have never seen that I thought worked really well. It wasn't violently different. Like I believed Alfred would act like this. And it makes sense that there was a point where Alfred was like, all right, this kid is unless I do something. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're sort of seeing that story. And I also, like you said, realized how much I miss Alfred. God damn, I miss Alfred. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And I, like, I'm, I'm glad that we've gotten a lot of like Alfred stories, yeah. you know, between this and Robin and Batman and, uh, and some other places. But yeah, like killing off Alfred was just stupid. Yeah, it's the way they did it. And that's a whole nother discussion we can have. In fact, that would be a really good cosmic long box. Bad deaths. <laughs> That'd be a good mm. one. <laughs> Remember that. Uh, Carmine DG and Domenico just gets better and better and better at what that dude does. And he had kind of a quirky style when he first started. I always liked it, but Me I too. think it turned a lot of people off. And I think he slowly sharpened his style to a point now where superstar status. This guy's fantastic. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah. I mean, and just to go back to what you were saying a little bit, it, it, like this is, you know, this is that story where it's like, here's the, here's that six months. We didn't see where Bruce was 17 or, right. or something like that. It's, it, it is that, but we don't often get to see that we get to see the alley and then we get to see year one. Right. What I want to see is I want to see Bruce learning how to become a detective. I want to see him training with Wildcat. Sure. I want to see yeah. him, you know, going around the world and learning all sorts of, you know, poisons and weapons and whatever not deadly nonsense he decides not to use. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I like that we don't get that much of sure. because we jump, we go from zero to 60 so fast. We've got to get him in the costume. We've got to get him in the costume. Gotta get him in the con got to get him in the costume. Yeah. And I think it's pretty ballsy for them to say, like, yeah, we're doing a 10 issue series. And I just hope that they don't do what Gotham did, the show Gotham, where yeah. it's like, or Smallville for that matter, where it's like, well, yeah, it's it's how Clark Kent became Superman. It's like, right. okay, great. Um, or Gotham, cool where they're like, whatever you do, don't do the math. Because if you do, you'll realize, and when yes. Batman grows up, he's beating up senior citizens. <laughs> well, and, and also, it's like, um, we asked the audience, and only the super nerds want to know this. They right. really want to see him punch Doomsday. It's a, but he's not Superman yet. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I don't care. Have him punch Doomsday. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is so good. Jump to this week, 126, and we'll start with Cowboy Bebop, number one from Titan. It was $3.99. This was written by Dan Waters with art by Lamar Matherin. Here's your solicit. Based on the new Netflix live-action adaptation of the original anime. <clears throat> it's canceled. An original story set in the year 2171, the bounty hunter crew of the spaceship Bebop chase an ex-gang member who holds a vest, which gives the wearer unlimited luck. New Netflix series starring John Cho, Star Trek, Mustafa Shaki. All right, that's just talking about the Netflix series. 
Maybe it's supply chain woes or just fighting for space at the printers, but Titan has the unenviable job of premiering their Cowboy Bebop title inspired <laughs> by the Netflix series a solid two months after its announced cancellation. That doesn't mean the live adaptation didn't have fans. I loved it. You know what? The Peacemaker one, the Peacemaker one shot did the same damn thing. It's like in anticipation of the HBO Max right. series. It's like, shut up. You're four weeks late. Right. I loved the live action series for one, but it does make for a complex experience. The thing I loved about the Netflix adaptation was a slavish devotion to the source material, which is probably what turned off a lot of viewers. Now, take that slavish devotion to detail in the live action show and move it to comic format something gets a little lost. It's like using Google Translate to go from English to Japanese and then back again. Your final translation can come out a little weird. <laughs> I'm not taking any points from the creative team. They obviously love the anime. They chose to take a different, more graffiti, cartoon-inspired direction rather than making a manga out of an anime, and it was a good decision. The story moves just as fast as the show. There's even an homage to the opening theme, but something was just off. The magic just didn't translate for me a third time. And I can only give this a skim it. You know, I mean, it's hard to adapt. Oh yeah. A, it's hard to adapt a property that has already been adapted. Uh, on top of that, you are adapting an adaptation already. Yeah. So you're not adapting the thing everybody loves. You're adapting the adaptation of the thing everybody loves. And I thought they did a good job. I thought that this was fun. I thought the tone felt right. Um, I, I like. I liked the little like three, two, one, let's jam moment. You know, was was kind of neat. But I, I'm I'm with you. It's like it's an odd it's an odd choice. It's like it's like giving it's like giving me a comic book version of a TV show that's based on a comic book, you know? Yeah. Like exactly. and, D, and DC DC's done it and they're about to do it again with this Earth Prime stuff where it's right. like yeah, you love or a comic book set in the world of the video game. Yeah. Like, I see what you're doing. I know why you're doing it. I don't care. Right. I don't care. It, it's hard enough when you're just moving from like you know, making a, a comic book adaptation of a show or a one movie. medium to another. Yeah, right. Like, we both love Rick and Morty. Funniest goddamn thing on television. You know what I don't care about? Rick and Morty Rick comics. And Morty comics. I, no, I just don't care. Don't. They don't do anything for me. No, they don't. And, and yeah, I mean, and I, I like this is no this is no shade on the creators. I know it's a hard job, and yeah. I think that they that Dan Waters, especially with the writing, did it well. Um, the art I thought was stylish and fun. It also had a lot of like kind of weird issues. Yeah. So I'm giving this a skim it. Titan does this, right? They're like adaptations out the yin yang. It's like if it's not Doctor Who or some other Blade Runner is another big weird one. Weird. Right. It's and it's and it's not like very popular licensed property X like IDW. <laughs> it's it's like here's every single version that you can think of of Doctor Who. And now we're getting Cowboy Bebop and it's like meh, whatever. It's a skim it. I'm also making the jump to this week, but also somehow simultaneously reaching three years into the past. It's Saga number 55 from Image Comics. It's written by Brian K. Period Vaughn. When was the last time you heard me say that name out loud? Been a bit. And artist uh, Fiona Staples. It's $2.99. Before we before you read this, Solicit, I just want to say nice segue. That was good. Thanks. I tried. You did it. I tried my best. <laughs> 
Here's your solicit. At long last, Hazel and her star-crossed family are finally back and here to kick off a new story arc. So where the hell have they been? As thanks for fans' endless patience, the Saga team is proud to return with a double-length 44-page issue for the regular $2.99 price point without variant covers or gimmicky renumbering. Up yours, Marvel. <laughs> I'd say up yours, Dynamite, maybe. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, no. And all, yeah, all of them, really. Just more pulse-pounding adventure, heart-wrenching character drama, and gloriously graphic sex and violence as Saga begins the second half of the series. Second half, oof. And the most epic chapter yet. Uh, and you know what? I, I threw I included this little bit of background, and I think it's fun to, uh, to read it. The Saga series has sold over 6.8 million copies to date across all formats, has been translated into 20 languages, and has garnered multiple Eisner and Harvey Awards, plus a Hugo Award, a British Fantasy Award, Goodreads Choice Award, Schuster Award, Inkwell Award, Ringo Award, and more. It has been featured in such mainstream media outlets as Time, Entertainment Weekly, The Atlantic, NPR, and beyond, and has become a pop culture phenomenon, uh, which I think is all fair to say. So, Saga is back after a three-plus-year hiatus, and we all finished our complete rereads in time for the new issue, right? Sure, yes. No? I was caught up. <laughs> so. All right, well, at, at least you were caught up. At least at least everyone was caught up, yeah. right? Nope, nope, nope. Ah, geez. But you certainly didn't stop reading the series somewhere in the mid-20s and then jump in here completely cold, right? No, just me. Awesome. I'm Great. glad that you admit it, though. You're not faking it. You admit No, I'm it. not. No, I'm all <laughs> full disclosure here. Jokes aside, other than some obvious differences, Vaughn and Staples keep things relatively easy to follow. I mean, differences in the status quo. Vaughn and Staples keep things relatively easy to follow without the need for heavy exposition. Uh, if this were a Marvel series, we'd have had a Road to 55, Zero Issue, or even a four-part Prelude miniseries. Instead, the creators refresh the broadest elements of the story and let context clues fill in the parts I'm missing. I think there's been a time jump, but I'm not sure, and it doesn't really matter. I was just enjoying catching up with these characters. And then, just like that, I was reminded that Saga is absolutely not for children, which I had somehow forgotten. But hey, you know, it happens. Everything I needed to enjoy this single issue is on the page, and it hooked me enough to go back and find out what I missed. And what do I really need to say about Fiona Staples, other than it's been far too long since I've had an excuse to say Fifi Stapes. I hope she tweets at you and says, I fucking hate that. Don't ever say that again. I hope she really, <laughs> I, think, I hope she treats it as the term of endearment that it is. The time away has only served to improve her already breathtaking digital painting style. This comic book is just fucking gorgeous. After too long an absence, Saga 55 presents a welcome return to the world of Hazel, Alana, Lion Cat, and your other favorites with some intriguing new developments that have me excited for more. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this is review proof. It, it, it really is. You either you either love this comic book or this kind of comic book is not for you. But nobody can say that it sucks. That's just not how that works. No, but that's not necessarily what review proof means. Like I, I like I do know some people that have legitimate criticisms about it, but it doesn't mean that they hate it or think it sucks. No, it's no. just that they have some criticisms. I, I will say Fiona Staples. I, one thing that I did notice here is like, yes, 
I don't know what happened, but her art got even better, <laughs> which is crazy because she was already so good. I'm thrilled to have this book back. I just don't have a lot to say about it, quite honestly, because I've gushed about Saga for years and years and years, and there was nothing other than like I had to wait a really long time. There, there is not some shocking thing that I needed to happen that's going to be tied up in the second half. I just want more. I'm happy to have it back. It's a huge buy it for me. Uh, at this rate, they will conclude their story uh, if 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 the half uh, statistic is to be believed. The final issue, just past issue 100, will come out sometime in uh, 2032. Well, Vaughn said, he's like, we got it planned out. It's coming out. We're rolling through it. Here's the other half. Bam. So I don't think you're going to make us wait a really long time, but yeah, I it's going to take true. a little while. <laughs> Let's jump back into Wolverine territory with the X Deaths of Wolverine number one from Marvel. It is $5.99. It's written by Ben Percy with art by Federico Vincentini. Solicit. Week two. If Wolverine's future lies in the past, what does that mean for the present? The reciprocal series to the X Lives of Wolverine, X Deaths of Wolverine is can't miss reading. Reciprocal. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's chock full of revelations for the best there is, as well as the fate of mutant kind. Let's get the basics out of the way. This is a big budget blockbuster mutant comic, and it just looks amazing. I don't know Federico Vincentini's name, but the guy is intensely talented, and I expect to see him on a major monthly X project very soon. His style is tight, it's detailed when it needs to be, but he's not afraid to loosen up for the sake of movement and action in some truly beautiful panels. Now let's talk story. Percy's script is excellent. The guy is a great writer. No one is debating that. But there is a choice that was made here that may upset some readers. Some fans criticized the first issue of X Lives, Wolvie, for being an action piece that left them with more questions. As you just heard, that was not an issue for me. And the one thing we can all agree on was Wolverine was most definitely in the comic. Not as much can be said here. Percy is spinning this story directly out of the aftermath of Inferno. So if you're coming into this story excited to learn more about Wolvie, buyer beware. Seeing as I had read Inferno, loved it, and want to see where said aftermath takes the X world, I am on board. But I will say, for a book called The X Deaths of Wolverine, you would think the character would appear in more than one panel. <laughs> it was a very cool panel, don't get me wrong. But this comic has Wolverine's name in the title, not Inferno nor Moira McTaggart, who is the main focus of the story here. So I get it. If some fans had already shelled out $6 for X Lives are a little butthurt after doubling down only to find this issue to be a continuation of Inferno. Personally, I really liked what I read, but I can't say that I wasn't a little shocked at the story direction. I just didn't see this coming. I'm giving it a buy it because it's great. It looks good. Script is great. Really well written. I did not know that this would pick up literally after the last issue of Inferno and go from there. Again, to answer criticism with logic here, I mean, I understand that they are technically selling these as two separate miniseries, but that's also kind of like saying that House of X and Powers of Ten are two separate miniseries. When they are meant to be enjoyed together, 
and they tell part of they tell halves of one story. No, I don't. I don't think and, that's the criticism, though. I think the criticism. I, but I think is, it, I think the criticism where it's like Wolverine doesn't even show up. And my answer to that is yeah, but dot dot dot. It's like this is the story is unfolding. This is part two. Right. It's even in the solicit. It says week two. I, I just don't really buy that as a valid criticism. It's like, well, Wolverine's not even in it. It's like, calm down. Well, let me ask Again, you this, though. Again, like, like we said with the first one, calm down. Sure, but let me ask you this. If you went into this saying, I'm a Wolverine fan. I read the Wolverine book. That's all I want to do. I want to read my Wolverine comic. And you didn't read Inferno. How do you feel after you read this issue? Yeah, okay. I mean, that is fair. But uh, to that, I say... Most people knew going in that this was going to be pretty central to the ongoing Hickman saga. I don't know. I don't think I even. We knew did. That. Yeah, we did. The solicitor we didn't mention any of that. We def. But I think we did. Uh, it was. It was tied into the larger story of Krakoa. Like, was I expecting this to essentially be Inferno number five? Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, the solicit certainly doesn't say anything about Inferno. Doesn't even mention it. Without spoiling anything, I think that the way the Wolverine character ties in at the end of the issue um, is part of the story. Like, I like I, I think we just got to let the story breathe for more than uh, two issues. I don't disagree. And, I mean, and I, I uh, like, can well. you can you come can can people complain that Wolverine's not in it? Sure. You can also flip through the comic before you buy it. Sure. That's what the skim it is for. Um, but. I, I think this is great. As somebody that very much enjoyed Inferno, I, I am excited to see uh, Moira's journey continue so quickly. Um, and I, I'm very curious to see how what's happening here connects with what's happening in the um, X Lives book. I, I, this is a buy it for me. I, I really liked it. Bad news, friends. We do not get to see John Cena's shapely buttocks in uh, Peacemaker Disturbing the Peace one-shot. It's a comic book from uh, DC Comics slash Black Label. In fact, John Cena's not even really in it. Black Label learned it. their lesson about showing us tools. Oh, yeah. We so. don't. We can't. We can't show no. Par, <laughs> no we can't show no parts. Uh, it's written by Garth Ennis with art by Gary Brown. It is $6.99. And here is your solicit. The breakout character from The Suicide Squad gets his own tale of peace ahead of the upcoming HBO Max TV show. Oops. Long before joining The Suicide Squad, Christopher Smith, codenamed Peacemaker, meets with a psychiatrist, a woman dangerously obsessed with his bizarre and violent past. From his tragic childhood to his military service overseas to his multiple missions with special forces, Smith has more than his share of skeletons in the closet. But who's actually analyzing whom? And will this trip down memory lane result in yet more fatalities? Garth Ennis and Gary Brown delve deep into Christopher Smith's history of violence and reveal what might bring peace or not to the peacemaker. Now, I have to admit that while there are some exceptions, most former Charlton characters are a complete blind spot to me. I can talk about Blue Beetle all day, but Peacemaker, he wears a dumb helmet and he seems a little crazy. Yeah. That's all I got. Is there even anything else to know? Garth Ennis says, yes. And this is the place to learn it. Through a series of flashbacks, Ennis details the increasingly deranged backstory of the character that most of us only know from James Gunn projects. And as these stories progress, Ennis builds tension in the present day framing sequence by showing readers and the psychiatrist Peacemaker meets with who is really in control. 
Gary Brown's frenetic, sketchy style suits the origin tale perfectly from the somber scenes on the cemetery bench to the over-the-top ultra-violent flashbacks. Uh, Lee Lofrich's colors don't really do much to enhance the work, uh, but they certainly don't distract from it, uh, which sounds like a dig. It's not. It's just I'm trying to be mindful of the whole team. I did not find the coloring to be exceptional, but I also didn't find it to be bad. Lee Lawfridge is really good, though, and I feel like maybe, like, I'm looking at some of these scenes, like, where there's, like, a burning car and stuff. I feel like it's colored very well, but the nature of Jerry Brown's art, not that it's bad, is probably hard to color like this. Like, maybe they made it Um, more vibrant than they should have, or? I don't know. Like, I don't know if, I don't know. Uh, Like, I, I. It, again, I'm not saying that the coloring is bad. I'm right. I'm saying that Lee Lofridge, the colorist, did his job well. Yeah. But there's nothing about the style that the book is colored in that is uh, that is uh, especially eye-catching, if that makes sense. Peacemaker, Disturbing the Peace is a compelling peek into the mind of a character that I wasn't really looking for. But at the same time, I couldn't look away. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, again, Peacemaker for me is a blank spot as well. I have a feeling whoever created the character and their comics didn't have this in mind. This, like you said, a very tragic, sad background that turned him into the weirdo monster who thinks he's a hero that he is. This is a little more maybe mean-spirited than the show. It's not that the show is not mean-spirited, it is, but it didn't come off as light-hearted to me like he wasn't quite the lovable dummy that john cena is in this yeah he's a little harder here but i didn't mind that i mean you know what you're getting when you read garth ennis and this is a garth ennis comic and it's a good garth ennis comic and i think peacemaker is a perfect character that's basically a blank slate that they can spin out of the show and do stuff like this with and maybe become their punisher with a sense of humor who knows but i did very much enjoy this i'm giving it a buy it yeah. Uh, so just for the record, uh, so that we give credit where it's due, the uh, Peacemaker was created by Joe Gill and Pat Boyette. Okay. Uh, not exactly household names, uh, but hey, um, they did a, they did a lot of war comics back in the day. Essentially, this is every time Peacemaker gets brought back, he's got a different origin, right? So uh, his his origin um, in the Charlton days was probably uh, way different. Uh, than the one we got from the DC days, which we re- we actually reviewed the first DC appearance of Peacemaker in that Vigilante comic uh, when we did all Suicide Squad characters. Oh, um, and totally not knowing that the Vigilante was going to end up being a yeah. big part of the show. Um, and uh, that guy's origin was way different. His dad was a his dad was a Nazi uh, was a Nazi concentration camp commandant which is similar to what we have on the show but right like but not quite um and this version is different still like he's he's an orphan and so like i think every time the peacemaker gets kind of reintroduced he's a blank slate and that's totally fine because who cares yeah the peacemaker does not have some like rich vein of backstory to to tap into like the punisher or 
or you know a Deadpool or whatever. He also doesn't um, have a skull that the Proud Boys have co-opted. So maybe we can you know just like how about some peacemaker our, stories for move our Punisher you know gaze this way and go well, I'm gonna yeah. be a peacemaker instead. Um, <laughs> I, I do find it kind of uh, hard to imagine this particular version of the peacemaker ever becoming uh, similar to the John Cena version. Yeah, who is obviously just a, a ridiculous joke. Yeah, but, like a lovable doofus. Um, yeah, it's, I mean it's it's a farce. It's a farce farcical show and uh, i mean i love it i love it to death um but this was a different kind of thing a whole different kind of thing now that we have hacked and or slashed our way through eight comic reviews it's time to pick one of these from the pile to enter the thn permanent collection Matt, which one was your favorite? She-Hulk. I didn't even have to think about it. It's She-Hulk. No, same. I'm I, so I, happy to have the She-Hulk back. And I, everything else we read was kind of like these either like big, you know, like story pieces moving something forward or hyper serious. Or And She-Hulk was just like, well done. Easy breezy superhero story. That It's just a return to a character we love. Loved it. She-Hulk. No question. Uh, yeah, easy, breezy, beautiful color cover girl. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree, one hundred percent. She Hulk, like what? Did I did I love Saga? Yeah. Did I love Batman the Night? Yes. Sure. Um, but She Hulk was everything I wanted it to be. It, it's not like it would have been a unique level of disappointment if after all of that we were so excited for the return of the traditional She Hulk for this comic to be terrible. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't. It was perfect. Right. It was perfect almost. And yeah, it was everything I wanted it to be. It had gorgeous art. Rainbow Rowell nails the voice of the character. Yeah. It's She-Hulk. No, absolutely. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes on the website where you can find links for all of the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can always find each episode's review list on our Twitters and Facebooks weekly on Tuesdays. Also, we want to know what you thought about these comics, or our reviews, or anything else that you read this week on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it on Saturdays on Facebook, live at 11 to noon central time. We love talking comics with you nerds. Come talk with us. Welcome to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Matt and I store our grimoires, totems, and other eldritch artifacts. And of course, we come here to focus our dark powers and talk about our must-read picks for next week. Matt Baum, why don't you start us off with your pick? I believe it's pronounced grimoires, I think. Just not the correct I, It's grimoires. I'm, it's, <laughs> grimoires. It's common misconception. Yes. Sorry. My pick for next week is Sabre Tooth, number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Victor Laval <laughs> with art by <laughs> Leonard Kirk. You caught me off a of guard there, buddy. I am a comedic uh, magician, work. sir. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Down in a hole. Sabretooth went into the pit, sentenced to an eternity of torment. Sure. No that sounds like hell. But maybe that's where he feels most at home. What's he been doing down there? What secret deal has changed his fate forever? And what if he's not alone? Award-winning novelist Victor Lavelle teams up with amazing artist Leonard Kirk to bring us the story of what lies beneath Krakoa. Here I just thought he got eaten. 
I thought they had to feed a, a mutant to, no, you know, no. like Krakoa once in a while. Yeah, like a human sacrifice. Yeah. It's like, well, Krakoa demands That's what blood. Krakoa used to do. He used to eat mutants. That was his thing. Oh, he's just holding them in a little pocket. Like in his butt? He's an island, man. He doesn't have a butt. Well, he ate him. So he like, he ma- gotta go he somewhere, Joe. eat him. They threw him in a hole. He ate him somewhere. That's like saying Moira's invisible apartment is in his butt. It's not where it was. You're right. It's near his butt. <laughs> it's butt adjacent, yes. It's got a beautiful overlook view of the butt. Yeah, like her apartment's like over in the appendix, which is close to your butt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can see it's just a straight shot down the tube into the... Like, I'm not All a right. butt doctor, but I know that your appendix is close to your butt. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I love Sabretooth. I want to know what the oh. hell happened to that character. And by the way, Leonard Kirk put out some preview art on Twitter and everyone was just like, whoa, this is a while ago before they even announced it. They're like, what are you working on? He was like, nothing. They're like, that looks like Sabretooth and he's pissed. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if I was supposed to show this. I'm really sorry. <laughs> the art looks amazing. I'm totally oh, I love Leonard Kirk so much. Yeah, I, love it. I love it. I love it. Um, that is all the singing you're going to get out of us. Otherwise we have to uh, kick a few bucks to Allison chains and we ain't got, th- we ain't got, the scratch for that so my pick for next week it's fantastic four colon reckoning war alpha number one there we go again alpha number one from marvel comics written by dan slot with art by carlos pacheco guys i wonder if it'll look the same as aerosmith the price was 4.99 here just solicit 15 years in the making and it all kicks off here in a time before the kree scroll or shiar empires before the emergence of galactus before the birth of asgard there was the first war, the greatest war to ever rage across the multiverse. Today, it is reignited. This is the day of reckoning, and all that stands between all of reality and revenge from the dawn of time are the heroes of Earth, the Fantastic Four, and the mind of Mr. Fantastic, starring the FF, She-Hulk, spoilers, Jack of Hearts, the Unseen, the Silver Surfer, and everyone in the whole damn Marvel Universe. There's your damn, there you go. as promised. I think Dan Slott just has to like leave his consciousness and body after this, right? Like <laughs> he'll put his oh, hands yeah, up no, I, and then Dan Slott becomes an idea and Dan Slott is in all of us after this. Yeah, right? I, I, I think when this is I think when this is done, Dan Slott will regenerate like Doctor Who and yeah, become a totally, totally different guy. Um so fifteen like they say, fifteen years ago, uh there is a throwaway line in an issue of She-Hulk which I just so happen to have recently reread where there's some tri- time travel going on there is a mention of the reckoning war yeah and ever since that issue came out Dan Slott has peppered very subtle references to the reckoning war in many of his comics I can't remember the last time it happened but it did happen a few times. Most recently, I think the last time I saw it was in that Fantastic Four 60th anniversary issue we reviewed where uh, the the Council of Crosstime Kangs meets uh, and they say, oh, he hasn't had, don't interrupt him. He hasn't even had the Reckoning War yet or some such Something nonsense. along those lines. And uh, uh, and it's like it's finally happening. It's finally happening. Dan Slott's in charge of the Fantastic Four. And apparently, he's and this has been a plan of his all along. Like back in the day, he's like, one day I'm going to write the Fantastic Four, and when I do, I'm writing this goddamn story. Yeah, I think he's had this. I think and I were like think Dan, that he has had this story since he was a kid. You're just some punk kid that we hired to write She-Hulk. Shut up, you know. <laughs> and this is before he was yeah. on Spidey, even you know. <laughs> God help him if it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, the hype is real. Yeah. Then he doesn't get to ascend. Then he has to walk into the ocean, I think. Yeah, you know, he descends. Yeah. 
I think he devolves. The THN trade of the week goes to the Marvel Comics Library Volume 1 Spider-Man from Tashin America. It is $200. Now, don't freak out, okay? There's a reason why. This is written by Stan Lee. I'm with, freaking out! With art by Steve Ditko. Here's your solicit. This extra, extra large size volume collects the classic first 21 stories of the world's favorite web slinger from 1962 to 1964. The most pristine pedigreed comics have been cracked open and photographed for reproduction in close collaboration with Marvel and Certified Guaranteed Company, better known as CGC, with an in-depth historical essay by Marvel editor Ralph Macchio, original art, rare photographs, and other gems, the 698 pages of wall-crawling wonder will make anyone's spider sense tingle with anticipation. Now... One of the things that we often scream about when we go back and we read this classic stuff for Cosmic Longbox is why, Marvel, why would you so re-heavily color this stuff and make it look like crap on purpose? This yeah. is actual photographed pages of the highest graded versions of these comics in existence, which is amazing. Yeah. And I am so pumped for these Tashin books. I am going to buy all of them. Don't <laughs> we'll, tell my wife. We'll, okay. we'll see about that. Uh, so many years ago when dinosaurs roamed the earth and when THN was just a glimmer in her eyes, Marvel came out with uh, what was then cutting edge digital comics technology by putting out complete collections of their most famous comics on CD-ROM. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and much, there was much ballyhoo made about how they were photographed from the personal collection of Ralph Macchio, which is super cool. Like he, he, like every step of the way he was involved and they're great. Like, look, they were great for yeah. the time. And this, this was after Karate Kid. So he could afford to buy all those like really <laughs> nice copies, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, like the the pedigree was legit, the reproductions were legit, and uh, you know at the time technologically, haha, CD-ROM. Like I couldn't even play them now if I wanted to, but this was before Marvel Unlimited, this was before Comicsology, this was before any of that. Yeah, and um, so you could get a complete run of Amazing Spider-Man up to like whatever, it, like. Uh, not all the way up to the current issue, but not that far back either, um, which at that time would have been uh, during the J. Michael Straczynski run. Uh, and it was like 50 bucks. Yeah. And that's so cool to have that digitally like that. Um, of course, now technology is way different. We have these at the touch of at the tip of our fingers uh, whenever we want. Um, but to have these like super oversized, like high quality, high res versions, like reproductions, like so incredible. Yeah. That we can like, uh, this is archival almost, right? This is like, totally. this is a, totally. yeah. Like you can go to Barnes and Noble and buy a dictionary, but this is a dictionary that you put on a lectern and then just, you know, why you shine a, a light. You shine a light a down on dictionary. it. Dictionary. Who's gonna go spend a bunch of money on it? You know what I mean. That's it's your like metaphor. The, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the it's the big fancy version that sits on the podium uh, at the library. Cool. That you know, it's got a dictionary. Yeah, it's like, Tell you what, uh, I'll just look it up on Google. But thanks. <laughs> look, you're old. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but you know, I think this is great. I think this is great. I will never own them, but I'm very glad that they exist. 
You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on the Twitters and the Faces Book too, where we want you to let us know what you're reading. Hey, while you're there, give us a like. You know, every once in a while, a like on the Faces Book. It helps. Before we call it an episode, we wanted to give you a special sneak peek at this week's Patreon Extra, where we are answering one listener's burning question in a segment we call Ask a Nerd. If you've got a comic question that you think only two adult children that think about comics more than their personal finances can answer, just head over to twoheadednerd.com, click our Contact THN button, it's a link really, and submit your question and you could be internet famous which is a claim we will also make later in the episode it's true just because we mean it welcome to our patreon extra for episode 651 where this time we're playing ask a nerd and answering the very first question we received from our new contact thn form where you can submit your ideas questions or feedback for any of our friggin segments kids today our buddy john tavertic asks i don't believe in guilty pleasures if you like it you like it who cares if others don't that being said what is your favorite terrible wolverine story run or phase of the character a story the comic reading community thinks it eh, kind of sucks, but you love it for some inexplicable or hopefully explicable reason. Since you can start, uh, I, I would just like to say for the record that you, the word terrible is in the question. It is. Yeah. It, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's true, but like we're not focusing so much on that, just on stuff that is not necessarily celebrated or maybe even chuckled at a little bit. Yeah, in right. yeah no, it's fair. I think I have a contender. So you, please, please feel free to go ahead. So, this instantly came to me. It's a run of Wolverine that is by no means the best and quite honestly ended terribly and got sort of swept away really fast after it went too far. But I'm going with Wolverine volume two, number 75 through 100. This all started in a storyline called Fatal Attractions in X-Men 25, where writer Fabian Nicesia and... Andy Kubert, this is going to be tough because Andy Kubert was on X-Men and Adam Kubert was on Wolverine at the time. And I'm going to mess that up while we talk about this. Deal with it. Not much I can do about it, okay? There's a story behind how this happens. What happened here, this is the first time we've seen Wolverine forcibly have his adamantium ripped from his body. Young Mapom read this back in the day, blew my mind. It was an incredible issue. It had this amazing holographic cover where it's just like a holographic sticker on it and Magneto's there and he's freaking out and Wolverine's just all twisted up and like, ah, and metal's flying out of him. He's just like, I yeah. have to buy that. That's X-Men 25. <laughs> yes. That issue, that's X-Men 25. I talk about X-Men 25 at the moment. So the story behind it, here's a quote that I lifted from, uh, I, I don't know who is speaking here, but it was from like, Uh, a Marvel blog. The various X title writers were debating what to do when they celebrate the 30th anniversary of the X-Men. They knew that it was going to involve Magneto. And this is at an X summit, by the way. So writer Peter David joked, they could just have Magneto use his magnetic powers to yank Wolverine's skeleton out of his body. Yeah, right. He was shocked when everyone loved the idea. (laughs) They came up with a way to do so without actually pulling his skeleton out of his body, of course. Instead, Magneto liquefies the metal and pulls it out of Wolverine's pores. He barely survives. He goes on to find out, now that he has his normal skeleton, devoid of metal, he still 
has claws and they're made of bones. <laughs> they're not actually claws that were added by Weapon X like we had all assumed up to this point, right? This happens in Wolverine 75, which is one of my favorite issues of Wolverine. It is ridiculous. This is Larry Hama and Adam Kubert exposing the bone claws for the first time. Wolverine at this point had lost his healing factor. It comes back later. It was just in shock, right? But he had lost his healing factor. He finds out he has bone claws. So every time he injects his claws, they literally cut his hands and it hurts. Well, they cut his hands before. I mean, they but, do, but they would seal up yeah. when they would go back in. Not anymore. Right. Now he has wounds. He has six little wounds on his hands when they come oh. out. Well, and if you, if you, um, if you pay attention to the Marvel universe handbook, you will know that he also had like silicone, like plugs or something that kind of helped out in that. But anyway, I digress. Get out of you get out of here with that crap. That's what that's that's <laughs> hey, you gotta you gotta give Elliot R. Brown the credit he's due. Oh, when somebody please. says I want you to diagram Wolverine skeleton, he diagrams Wolverine <laughs> skeleton, enough. okay? Excelsior. Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 651 and next week. The Cosmic Longbox seizes control of the show once again, and it's forcing us to review classic comics with the theme, Comics in Court! We're talking about those times when your favorite heroes and villains were forced to go to trial! It doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, a courtroom either. It could be a trial by combat, it could be a trial in space, yeah. it could be whatever, but it's gotta be a judge. That's my only rule. Has to yeah, be a like a or you know an overseer, a, a lower tribunal. Yes, you know a living or living or, or other eyes. Yes. Yeah. Well, if one of us doesn't pick a comic with a living tribunal in it, we are not doing our fucking job. Okay. Ugh. All right. Well, <laughs> All right. I get when you say stuff like that, you mean me. Yes. If you want to yeah. rap about this week's episode or any of our weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday. At 11 Central Time, it's hosted on our Facebook page. And to get that uh, conversation started, we have a little question of the week. That's right. This week's question was inspired by uh, our our pal Wolverine, like almost everything else in this episode. We want to know what is your favorite alternate persona of a comic book character? For example, Matt loves Patch. Loves him. But hates matches Malone for some reason. <laughs> Even though it is exactly the same thing. I don't disagree. Uh, now, we're not talking about what ifs where it's like on, on this earth, Wolverine's got a third arm or, you know, whatever. Uh, we are talking about the uh, a, your favorite examples of a character assuming a different identity for a length of time. Yeah, like totally switching personas. And even if it's like maybe for an issue or something. Yeah, or like it, he's undercover, fine. you know, whatever. Like, I mean, yeah, he's just, he has, he is operating uh, in. Uh, Let's go they. Not he himself. or she. They are doing that. They, yes. Sorry. Yeah, obviously. Yes, they. Uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming our way. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join us on Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline. And hey, like we said earlier, you could be internet famous. Remember, if you are going to submit a voicemail or an MP3 uh, or an, uh, a recorded message, please keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with the live callers. If you're new to the show and you'd rather have your adamantium sucked out of your pores than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is 
You can hear the entire round of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Adam Kraut. Nope, not patron. Just donor. You just click the yeah. donate button? Well, if you read what I wrote, then you're you'll telling know. me this lunatic Adam Crouch just donated his prize money for naming our new Slack issue segment back to the show. Yeah, like a pyramid scheme. Good lord, <laughs> we're he not even it, trying. He put it back into the business. <laughs> he bought another case of. He sold the yogurt and then bought another case of yogurt. Crouch, you you beautiful son of a bitch. It wasn't prize money, Matt. It was I was gonna buy him a comic. <laughs> if you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You could sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content like a little sneak preview you just got or you could just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you want to put good energy out into the universe towards nerds that probably aren't capable of much more than this you know let's be honest we peaked right we peaked uh, probably on the I mean <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's generous to yeah. assume that we are at the peak. I no, think no, no. I didn't say we're, yeah. I say we peaked. Indeed. Oh, we peaked. We, we peaked. We <laughs> yeah. Peak yeah, yes, yes. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to uh, my dad, Ken Patrick, if you know, you know, uh, but also to Jerry Siegel and John Forte. You may recognize Siegel as one half of the creative team that created Superman, but he would have to team with Forte to come up with his greatest creation, Matter Eater Lad of the Legion of Superheroes, who just got his own shout out on last week's episode of Peacemaker on HBO Max. Don't think about the continuity. It does not matter. <laughs> you better not. Word to you. Matter Eater Lad, you have finally made the big time. That makes it sound like the shout out goes to Matter Eater Lad. But it does. You, know, you, you get what we mean. Yeah. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre order your comics or your retailer might just devour them right in front of you. This is the two headed nerd signing off.